The Old Testament reading may be found on page 274 in the Church Bible and on the overhead. The Lord calls Samuel, and it's 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from John chapter 1, reading from verses 43 to 51. This is on page 1064 in the Church Bible. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Peter, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. 
Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we ask you to surprise us this morning with your word. Open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts that our encounter with you this day may be one to your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. God is a God of surprises. That's what the readings tell me this morning. And that's what I had about uh, six months ago when the vicar of St. Jude, Southsea, rang me up and said, I'd like you to come over for a fortnight in January. What are you doing in January? I said, at my age, I don't think that far ahead. (laughs) He said, well, I'd like you to come over for a fortnight in January and look after a dog, a teenager, and a parish. (laughs) Well, I have to say that it's the dog that's created the most problems so far. And, and, and it's really nice to be with you all again and to see a lot of uh, familiar faces. A God of surprises was a surprising young Samuel, a boy, in an age when visions were not popular and not common. And at a stage in his life, the Bible tells us, when he had not yet come to know the Lord... Not a very good background or setting in which to be surprised by God. And yet, he was. Speak, Lord, he said, for your servant heareth. And that word of prophecy that came to the young boy, not yet of mature faith, in an age of secularism, actually changed the course of the history of Israel and indeed of the world. So always be ready for surprises. I suppose if you're ready for them, they're not really surprises, are they? But the other set of surprises that we read about this morning in our second lesson actually is to do with Nathaniel. His very name actually means given by God or birthed by God, if you let. Nat N L birthed by God. And I think that probably Nathaniel uh, knew a little bit about that. He was God's gift, probably, uh, to uh, the family and uh, to his friends. Think about your encounters, first of all, in the past few days. A lot of them will be family. A lot of them will be friends. People that you've met in the street people that you've had a letter from or an email from or a text from, some of them uh, expected and hoped for, and a good many of them casual and surprising. What about the lady at the checkout in the, uh, in the supermarket? What about when you were walking your dog, the person who surprisingly said, 
hello to you and lightened your day? What about the person who asked directions and you didn't quite know, but you hoped you pointed them in the right direction? We had an occasion like that this week. All those encounters are opportunities for God's surprises. Why do you remember that encounter? Is it with some misgiving? Is it with some joy? Is it, was it just a passing encounter? Or was it in fact something that you might remember for a long time? Every encounter is significant at that moment. And many encounters are significant for a long term. Because any worthwhile encounter changes us a little. We have been changed, we have been blessed, if you like, by an encounter. Our minds have been challenged. Our faith has been strengthened. We have been puzzled. We felt we've been valued and we felt we've been ignored. And I wonder whether Nathaniel would have thought on that day when he got up in the morning, whether he was to have an encounter which would change the course of his life and the lives indeed of many others. But it's told in great detail in this part of St. John's Gospel. And remember, we're still in the first chapter of St. John's Gospel. There are no birth narratives. We don't hear anything about Bethlehem and the manger or the kings and the shepherds in St. John's Gospel. St. John goes into it straight away, you know, from that first famous lesson of first famous few verses of his first chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Those words ring out for us around Christmas time. In other words, he's saying, this is not a sentimental thing. This is an earth-shattering thing. It is a cosmic thing that affects the world for all time. That's how he begins his gospel. And then about halfway through, there is this very intimate and personal and domestic story about Nathaniel. And when you're reading through St. John's Gospel, you will be aware how St. John moves from the personal domestic things into quickly the eternal and the cosmic things, as if the two are closely related. So we need to be aware if we think that anything that happens in our lives, especially encounters with other people, are incidental things. According to John, they will relate to the eternal things, the eternal values, the eternal actions, the eternal salvation that Jesus brings. So we move from, in the beginning was the Word, and that, of course, is a hark back to the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning was God, and God began the creation and John repeats that at the beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word. This is a new creation. This is a new revelation of God. A new beginning for the world because of the coming of Jesus Christ. 
And now we get to Nathaniel. Nathaniel's encounter with Jesus begins in the total humdrum of things, and it ends the story in the sublime, just in the course of a few verses. So the humdrum thing was that Nathaniel was introduced to Jesus by Philip. Philip was a good introducer of people to Jesus. Uh, you can read that in other parts of the New Testament as well. And it was uh, a natural thing to do. Philip had uh, many friends. Uh, he and Peter and Andrew came from Bethsaida, that little village right at the northern end of the Sea of Galilee, where the River Jordan runs into the Sea of Galilee. And just a few miles, two or three miles away from Capernaum, where they were to set up their headquarters when uh, the gospel was being spread in that part of uh, Galilee. And then a little bit just over the hill were two villages called Nazareth and Canaan. And uh, Nathaniel came from Cana. Um, it, in those days, was a long way. You can't hear. Is that, am I, is that right? You can't hear? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were signalling that you couldn't hear. Sorry. Nazareth came... Uh, Jesus came from Nazareth, and Nathaniel came from Cana. Two, two villages quite close together, but in those days quite a distance apart, and clearly there was some rivalry between them. Uh, I have to tell you that uh, when I was working in the northeast of England, if you lived in Sunderland, you never used the word Newcastle. And I suspect it's the same if you live in Portsmouth, you don't talk too much about Southampton, do you? In fact, when I went to see football matches at, uh, at Sunderland, uh, the biggest cheer was not when Sunderland won, but when Newcastle lost at uh, the Stadium of Light. And um, Cana and Nazareth were like this. So it's not surprising that a sarcastic, half-humorous comment came when uh, Nathaniel heard that Jesus came from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? The only thing, in fact, that Nathaniel questioned about Jesus was where he came from. Doesn't that sound pitiful? But part of the heart of this story is about prejudice. And it was that kind of incidental, natural prejudice that kept Nathaniel from immediately responding to the presence of Jesus. And I'd like us just to pause and reflect on the prejudices that we have today that might well do the same for us and keep us from knowing the truth. Immediately when you are introduced to somebody, you immediately start making assumptions about them. Perhaps by the way that they talk, perhaps by the way that they dress, perhaps by the shape that they are, perhaps by the color of their face, perhaps by the fact that they are of another religion, perhaps by their sexual orientation. We immediately begin to make 
assumptions and then put them in a certain category. And as you know, most of the troubles of today in the world, and aren't they grievous, derive from prejudice. Even within our own community and our own nation. I was, I was pretty shocked, I must say, after the tragedy of Paris and the murders in two different parts of France and all the aftermath of that, those tragedies when 20 people or so were killed and tragically savaged to death, no wonder there was an uproar in the Western nations. Four or five pages of the Times newspaper were covering this and what they were doing to catch the perpetrators. Day after day after day. On the third day, when it was still being reported page after page after page, I noticed an item on the inside pages of the Times in one column only, which referred to 2,000 Christians being murdered in Nigeria, again, by Muslim operators. Now, that signals to me some kind of prejudice and imbalance between our understanding of what God's one world is. Why wasn't the scandal of Nigeria on the front page as well as a dozen people in Paris, tragic and awful as that was? We get drawn into the prejudices of our time, don't we? And not only are we perpetrators of prejudice, but we're also the victims of prejudice as well. The fact that you and I are labeled as Christians puts us these days in a small minority of victimized people who are grossly understood in the rest of the world and in the people who you and I encounter. If it becomes known, as it soon probably will, I hope, that you have a Christian faith and you try and live uh, as a follower of Jesus Christ, then immediately people put labels around you, make assumptions about you, which are certainly probably not true. Oh, he's a religious person. Be careful about him. Oh, he's overly pious. Don't offer him a drink. Oh, no. Don't use bad language in front of him. Be careful of his children. They'll be brought up very narrowly. Oh, he's a fundamentalist. He doesn't really think about his faith and so on. Or they're terribly naive, aren't they? There are far better things to do on a Sunday morning than going to church. All those little prejudices where people put us in those brackets. You've only got these days, as one or two of you here will know, to wear a dog collar in the street these days to sense the kind of prejudice that there is about uh, Christian ministers as well. So that's the prejudice that we are victims of, but we ought also to be aware of the prejudice that we, that we perpetrate ourselves in a way which dominates almost every encounter. How did Jesus cut through the prejudice that Nathaniel had 
about somebody who came from Nazareth with all the build-up of the false impressions that uh, Nathaniel had about what Jesus must be. His dad's a carpenter. He comes from Nazareth. He's got a funny beard or whatever. Jesus, in fact, doesn't challenge that. He doesn't say, as you and I might say, well, what's wrong with coming from Nazareth? He says, um, Nathaniel, I know the meaning of your name. You're God's gift. You're birthed by God. And I saw you long before Philip introduced me to you. I saw you standing under the fig tree. And suddenly, Nathaniel, with those kind of approaches by Jesus, suddenly Nathaniel says, well, he knows the meaning of my name. He knows that I'm a true Israelite. I'm a faithful Jew. I'm a thinking person. And he noticed me. And simply by those actions, there is an immediate turnaround from the prejudices that were blocking Nathaniel's approach to Jesus. Suddenly, he says, you are the Son of God, you are the King of the Jews. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sure that it was true for Jesus that he was mildly shocked by this, that because Jesus saw Nathaniel under a fig tree a long way away, and because he knew the meaning of his name, suddenly Jesus was the Son of God. It's a big step, isn't it? In any, in, by any uh, stretch of the imagination. Jesus is astonished and he challenges this. He said, you're making that big step of faith simply because I say I saw you under a fig tree. Well, of course I saw you under the fig tree. But suddenly something happens in that encounter and it may have been the nature of Jesus' approach not to say, what's wrong with coming from Nazareth, but to say, I know you, I love you, I give you, in fact, worth, I recognize you, I know your name, I know the meaning of your name. Jesus says, if you believe that, if you believe that I am a prophet come from God, then you will see greater things than this. In other words, suddenly, Jesus, in John's, the gospel writer's language, moves from a simple, friendly, domestic, everyday kind of encounter, the humdrum, into, in fact, what? The celestial, the heavenly, the cosmic, the wonderful panoply of God's grace and God's love. And he does this by referring to something that would be very familiar to the faithful Jew that Nathaniel was. He refers to the story of Jacob and Jacob's vision of the ladder between heaven and earth. That was central to any Jewish teaching because Jacob, the founder of the 12 tribes of Israel, uh, had this vision. And again, the ladder between heaven and earth was God's way of confirming them as the people of God. You will see angels ascending and descending, he says. So, 
You've said something, Nathaniel, to me, says Jesus, that indicates that there is a connection between us and God, and I am that connection. Jesus was saying, I am the ladder where angels and archangels are ascending and descending. Put your faith in that context, not just because you've met me, Jesus, as a person, but because God is in this encounter. I wonder whether the casual encounters that we have, when we are introduced to the friend of a friend, or the friend of a friend of a friend, whether we say there may be something glorious about this encounter. I want to put aside what I immediately think about this person, uh, the way that he combs his hair or, or, or the color of his face or, or whatever. I want to put those things aside because something may be happening here which is of God and of God on a cosmic scale. Every encounter, every encounter has the capability to have that about it, to see it through God's eyes. And the encounter between Nathaniel and Jesus and the common sea phrase of Philip were the means whereby a great revelation took place, not only for Nathaniel, but for the other disciples and consequently for the whole of the Christian faith. So that encounter and maybe your encounters have that uh, concept and that depth to them. I just want to finish by offering three ways in which this may affect your life and mine in this coming week. The first is that we root out the prejudices that so easily separate us from other people because they're old or because they're fat or because they're black or because they're homosexual or whatever, that somehow we put them in a category which distances us from them. And that is not so with the encounters that Jesus has. He accepts people as they are and then leads them on in his gentle way. Root out the prejudices that spoil our encounters. Secondly, I'm going to tell myself that I look for the eternal significance in small things, tiny things. All of our significant lives are taken up and are a combination of a lot of incidental small things. And every small thing changes us a little. Look for the big background to the small things of life, to the small encounters that we have. And never discard any incident, especially with other people, however insignificant it feels. Never discard that as being unimportant because God might have a revelation for you within that. And the third thing I would say is Recognize the consequence of natural friendships 
and introductions. Always be aware and on the alert for where the small things of life are going to lead to glorious revelations of the way in which God speaks to us and leads us. To come back to where we started in the Old Testament, Samuel, a young lad, without much faith, was asleep, and he had this dream, this knocking on his door, and all he had to say was, Speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. So in these coming days, whenever we're drawn short by an event, an encounter, someone who says, come and see to us, then let's be ready for the surprises that God has to offer. Amen.